G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. This Crunch Time podcast proudly brought to you by iPrimers. Make the right NBN choice with iPrimers, your NBN experts. Call 131101. Welcome to Footyology with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the second edition of the Footyology podcast. Uh, we survived the first one, hopefully you survived after having heard it. And boy, have we got some great footy to talk about. Round 19 was absolutely sensational. And who else would I rather talk about it with than my old partner in crime, Mark Fine. G'day, Finey. G'day, mate. Now, some good news. I've kept a secret from you. What's that? I've got an SMS during the week, and one of our listeners, a footyology fan from TV and now podcast, has contacted the Macquarie Dictionary of Australia. What? You can make applications for words to be added to the dictionary, (laughs) and he has seriously put in footyology as a term to describe a footy fanatic or student of the game, a derivation a TV program, the year, and the authors are Connolly and M. Fine. Has it slipped into common usage enough yet, do you think? I actually then went and checked the criteria for a new word, and we're about a million people short of regularly using it to be considered seriously to be in the Macquarie, but this podcast can only help. Oh, it should take us three or four weeks, I think. The, uh, to get the, to the million? Yep. Well, you know, word of mouth, word of mouth. We know a lot of people, Finey. Without further ado, let's get straight into it. On Footyology, that's a wrap. Okay, where do you start with an amazing weekend of footy? Our third draw of the season. We've now had 29 games this year out of 162, finally decided by six points or less. Almost a fifth of all games. Um, What an incredible season. We keep saying it, but it really is. You know, people always point to the ladder this year for the evenness of the competition, and it is compressed and even and exciting, but that really wouldn't count for much if the games themselves weren't close contests because you'd say it was just a mathematical anomaly. But actually, it's a truly even competition because we are having so many narrow squeaks. It's You only need to go around the suburbs, and I do a fair bit of suburban football through umpiring. Very demoralising for fans, players, and people who run football clubs to be part of big thrashings. And even thrashing teams is not that satisfying. This is where football needs to be. I think there's a, a question that keeps recurring. Is anyone actually any good? And I think the answer is yes, they are good, but not nearly as good as as teams used to be and a lot more vulnerable. And uh, probably Exhibit A is Adelaide, who I've got to say, I've pumped them up all year. I was just about convinced with them. And uh, then blow me down, they come out and play a stinker of a first half, Five minutes into that third quarter against the Pies, they're 50 points down uh, and all the doubts resurface. Lo and behold, they come back again and manage to escape with a draw. Probably lucky to get that draw, but what do I think about them now? I think uh, they've played the best footy all year. I think that they are capable and hard enough. I think what today underlines for me, though, is it's the third time this year they've had a really costly mental lapse. They didn't turn up in the first quarter of that game down in Tassie against North got smashed. 
didn't turn up in the second half against Melbourne at home earlier in the year, got smashed. Today, perhaps it's a step forward because they were able to sort of reel it back and, uh, you know, salvage something out of the game. Um, the really significant stat for me today was 50 fewer contested possessions than the Pies. Now, that is not a structural thing because they're actually faring really well for contested ball and clearances this season. I think they're second or third in both categories. It means, though, that they're susceptible to some weeks just not being mentally prepared. How do you say? A real glass half full, half empty, because I saw that flakiness as uh, clear as day even coming into this game, they were top of the ladder, but far from my selection to even make the grand final, as I felt they just have too many players that that are committed not to the contest and not to the possibility of even losing a stoppage, but they roll the dice and risk going forward, searching for attacking ball. And I don't think their half-back line with Laird and Smith is solid enough. But today... At 50 points down, having all the same misgivings that you did, I saw them come back to within less than a goal, then concede three more goals and come back again. The double comeback shows a level of inner belief and fight that maybe I didn't think that they had. Yes, they still play a risky brand of football, but at least it now comes with an ability to fight games out, foreign soil, no lever, no bets, no B crouch, no... Today, they rose in my estimations. Uh, I'm going to ask this nearly every week. Um, can they win the flag? They can because whoever wins the flag will have inherent issues. Will they win the flag? No. Okay. I am going to ask that every week. should be fun. Um, the other big headline for me this week was the Western Bulldogs. And I was at that game earlier and uh, before the Collingwood Adelaide game. I thought the curve's been gradually going up, you know, just solid wins over Carlton and then Gold Coast last week. Um, I was talking to a few Bulldog people who said, we think we're just about back. Well, today underlined it for me. Um, won the contestable and clearances pretty comfortably. They were trademarks last year. The thing that I think was really significant today, though, was their efficiency up forward and their conversion, which has been awful. They've been actually the worst in the league at um, percentage of goals for inside 50 entries, going at like 21%. Today they went at 35. It was about 52 entries, so 19 goals. They shared the goal-kicking load. They had a dozen individual goal-kickers. So that flexibility's back. Um, I think they've cleaned up their delivery, some really pinpoint precision passing going on. Um, and to me, they that is easily the best they've played all year. Better even, I'd argue, than the round two or three game when they beat Sydney at Eddie Had, which a lot of people thought was the best game of the season. I thought today was a high-quality game, and they triumphed. They overcame a slow start, and when the game was still in the balance, goal of difference, five minutes left, they went bang, 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 smack, uh, banged on four goals and, and won by five. If they make the eight, and that's still in doubt, funnily enough, but if they make the eight, look out, they're a massive chance. Simple overview of today's game. Well, Coach Luke Beveridge, uh, Murphy and Johannesson move forward. Johannesson kicks four, but they do not become obsessed with what people believe is the way to stop Essendon, who are desperate for the corridor, especially at Eddie Head Stadium. Quick hands down the corridor, long to Danaher and either Hooker or Stewart. No, they looked at it differently and they said, we'll get the ball, we'll use, we'll run the ball and we'll kick it 
kick it, but not short kick and stop. Kick and run, kick and run. Use the width of Etihad Stadium. And let's see how much run and gun there is in Essendon if they're facing us all afternoon. Uh, and it worked out brilliantly because uh, it wasn't that long in the second half where a few of the Essendon players' tongues were lolling out of their mouths. And they got some older players who, as the game wore on, became liabilities. Yeah, there's a few bomber uh, veterans who I think some tough calls might need to be made on, but uh, we might leave that one for uh, another one. Okay, I'll ask you with the Bulldogs too. Can they win the flag? No. Okay, I guess that makes the second question redundant, really, no, doesn't not it? No, not while... Um, and Stringer will come back, but not while they search. They, they just don't have the... And we saw it again. You know, they just don't have the height in, de- in defence to withstand too much inside 50 ball from the opposition. Yeah, well, Morris out six, eight weeks. He'll be borderline. Adams, I think, is indefinite. So, so, yeah. so, yeah, could... Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fair enough point. Um, would be remiss of us not to talk about the Paddy Dangerfield incident. If you've been on Mars, uh, Paddy Dangerfield may... Uh, have his Brownlow prospects uh, cut short by the match review panel, that uh, tackle on Matthew Cruiser. How do you see it? By the time you listen to this, you may already know that he's received one week, which he will receive because not necessarily the act deserved it, even though it is line ball and could deserve it, but there's so much has been made of he's going to get off because he's a Brownlow favourite. That that won't happen. That the match review panel would be... It would take great intestinal fortitude and blocking out the external noise to be resistant to the charge of taking a call from the AFL. Don't you think they've been they're sort of experienced enough in those matters to? I mean, they've been through that before. Yeah, but even after all that happens, he's still, in my opinion, more likely to get a week than not. So if it comes down to a line ball decision, I think that the fact that that line ball decision, if it goes in favour of Dangerfield, will look to be tainted. Makes it very hard for him to get that, you know, Pro- it, procedural at, fairness. Correct. At, at the very best, he's hoping for a, a close call. Mm. Surely. Oh, it is a close call. There's no doubt. At about very that. best. At worst, they they go through all the numbers and it's a careless and it's a, you know. It is medium to high impact because Cruiser never came back on. He had concussion. That's true. Although I thought Chris Scott made a good point in saying that that doesn't come into it until they determine that the act on its own was illegal. Well, the act of pinning a guy who doesn't have the ball and throwing him to the ground. Okay, so you think he should go? Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know. I can't make up my mind, to be honest. I don't think it was as bad as the McCarthy one. I thought no, it's, the, not, it's not as bad, no. Yeah, not. but he was three down to two, wasn't yep. he? So... Where I think he's in trouble is, yes, it's careless, not intentional, but unless um, that's ranked low impact and that's where the medical report comes in and he was out, taken out for the rest of the game, Cruiser, um, it's medium at the very least, which is a week. And here's where the system does not work. There's no flexibility. How many games has Petty played? Oh, well, he's been around since 2008. Yeah, so he's, you know, in, in, is it 200s? It'd have to be around 200, yeah. He's never been suspended. No. No, he's, he got a $900 fine for umpire contact. Correct. So he's yeah. never been suspended. He's uh, the subject of great um, uh, physical assault from opponents, but he's always played the ball. He's a champion of the game. He mistimes a tackle, but there's no real facility for that to be taken in. His record does not help him. What, what will happen is the numbers will stack up against him and he's going to get a week. Yeah. It's not fair. Well... 
you know, it's every every system has problems. I I'm not convinced that this system actually is better than the tribunal system. This system's terrible. This is. So you reckon the old tribunal system's better? Oh, it might have been a bit unwieldy, but this system is borrowed from the criminal justice system that is totally skewed to guilty pleas because of the backlog in courts and and they want to move cases through. So you gave great encouragement with reduced sentencing for pleading guilty. So in football, clubs are pleading guilty out of expedience, one instead of two, when they completely are not comfortable with the charges. I'm going to make a, I'll make a prediction. I reckon he will get off. They'll withstand the um, public fury and um, we'll talk about it again for another week, which may or may not be a good thing. Now, um, before we move on from this segment, uh, you had a point you wanted to make about home ground advantage. Well, didn't North Melbourne prove with a little bit of acclimatisation down at Hobart? That's what beat Melbourne. I mean, they don't play a lot of... Nobody plays footy in the wind, but there is a bit for North Melbourne down there to get used to. There's grandstands, the wind blows in through here, doesn't come in through there. And all of a sudden, you've got the old home ground advantage, which doesn't exist in footy for most, most clubs. And it, have we just not said how close the season is? Mm. Well, what's Simmons Stadium worth to Geelong? Mm. Well, they had the, this is year on year on year. But they had, the good, they had the good sense to develop it and hang on to a traditional home ground advantage. Only because they were a regional centre. I mean, there's no... What, Essendon didn't have the money to develop something somewhere, somehow? <sighs> Would have been better spending that than where they ended up spending Well, I'll, just, I'll play devil's advocate here and say that the, that is the interstate teams who get that home ground advantage, they have a significant disadvantage in the amount um, they have to, and frequency with which they have to travel. Okay, that's true. I still think they get more exposure to Eddie Had than a Victorian club or player would have to their grounds. But really, when everything's balanced out and interstate teams have to play at the G, it's advantage who? Geelong. And well done North and Hawthorne to an extent for getting little um, two or three game uh, wedges in Tasmania to take advantage of as well. Isn't it funny that St Kilda had that and got rid of it because they felt it was a disadvantage? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll see that argument and just raise you this to finish off. Uh, Geelong's played one final at its true home. What happened? Fremantle defeated them in that final. Does that weaken your argument? No, because they'll still put their hands up for home finals every year, so there must be something in it. Well, it's an interesting discussion, and in a year like this, when it's as tight as it's ever been, those little advantages may count for a lot more. On Footyology, hot or not. Rightio, I think everyone's familiar with the format of this segment, of course, uh, a regular part of the Footyology TV show last year, uh, which will rise from the ashes, Fine, You mark my words. But I'm going to kick us off this so week. So there is going to be an ashes this year. <laughs> Very good. Um, we might be playing in it. Uh, I'm going to kick us off with a hot, and it goes, you'll be pleased with this, it goes to Jake Carlisle, who I thought was outstanding for the Saints in defence. Must have taken eight or nine intercept marks and possessions. Um, constant stumbling block for the uh, port forward line. And I think he's been great all year. He's been very, very steady when a lot of teammates haven't. Uh, I think given that he had a year off, and don't forget, too, he had some off-field, much publicised off-field issues. And he also, when he left Essendon, was a pretty disillusioned man, I think. So he's had a fair bit to um, to come around to where he was at one time in his footy career, and he's done it. Absolute credit to him. He's been a rock down there. Great mark. I think he reads the play really well. Uh, no doubt his natural home's in defence, and I don't know why Essendon ever flirted with playing him forward. But... 
St Kilda have occasionally copped some flack about some of the players they've picked up from other clubs. He won't be one of them. He's been an absolute steal for them. Look, he's on the back of his worst game of the year, he got beaten by Callum Sinclair. He was, again, given the freedom to roam in the back line. Even when it was raining, he was intercept marking. St Kilda, loyal to the suburbs St Kilda, have over the years looked at other clubs geographically and said, if you've got a player whose name is a street in St Kilda, we'll try him. Ackland came from Port Adelaide. <laughs> no good. Gray from uh, Adelaide. And, uh, well, it's a notorious street, and he became a pretty notorious footballer, notoriously poor. Finally, Carlisle, another big street in St Kilda, did very well, so we're looking for a Barkley. They haven't had an Inkerman, have they? No, I don't know if there are many Inkermans going around, but we could find a Barkley. Do you, know, you then get down to Elwood, where all the streets are named after, do you know? Uh, don't go down to Elwood much. What are they named after? Poets. Oh, so really? There's Byron Street okay, and yeah. Tennyson Street and Mitford and, and all different poets, famous literary figures from... Uh, there's Keats and you name it. Any famous literary Shakespeare Grove are all down Elwood at the St Kilda, where St Kilda meets Elwood. So um, St Kilda can always go down that route. All right, get on with it. Uh, my hot is actually not, I start with, St Kilda. And what a lamentable last minute of football. Yes. Uh, beautiful tap from Ryder to Gray. Yeah, of course. It was not the last quarter. It was in the first quarter. Oh, yes, And yes. it was just as damaging. You know, St Kilda had that quarter, but only kicked one goal. There was rain in that quarter. But for a team that had been struggled all their life at Adelaide Oval, to keep Port Adelaide goalless was looking like a good achievement. 48 seconds on the clock, Adelaide no goals. They kicked two goals in 48 seconds. The die was cast early, and uh, people have forgotten that because it happened famously, more famously, in the last quarter. The first quarter, also bad. No, good point. I wrote it down, actually. When Westhoff kicked his goal, there were 44 seconds left on the clock. And uh, then Jimmy Webster, of course, uh, what was he doing? Just dropped the ball and then ended up sort of drop-kicking it. That is actually how... Interestingly, an octopus would kick a ball. <laughs> okay. Have you seen an octopus kick a ball? Well, if you don't have a knee or a foot, I imagine that's how you kick it. They go well on a wet track, apparently. Um, all right, I'm going a not second up, and he's to the bounce, the umpire bouncing the footy. What is going on with that? Because at Etihad Stadium in the Essendon Bulldogs game, one bloke was throwing it up all day. One of his mates uh, started bouncing it and then started throwing it up. I think I did hear that they've done a bit more relaying of turf, so it might have been a bit spongy. But to me, just underlines, look, I'm a traditionalist at heart, but I just think the umpires bouncing the ball is something that causes more problems. Um, it's not worth it. You know, you, you get umpires injured. It probably precludes decent decision makers, makers from taking part at the elite level if they can't bounce the ball. And we've seen that with uh, Derek Humphrey-Smith in the past. And frankly, you know, every time, the only time I ever hear people talking about it is when it comes up that they might get rid of it. I've never seen a single person go, oh, I can't wait to get to the footy and see the umpire bounce the ball. It's tradition. Okay, well, you know, lots of things have been tradition. But if there's no decent use for them in contemporary life, you get rid of them. And the bounce is one of them. I'll be part of this discussion that Eddie had in two weeks, North Melbourne, St Kilda host North Melbourne. But the curtain raiser is a St Kilda Legends game. Oh, yeah. And last year I umpired in the St Kilda's Legends game before the Essendon match, and I'll be one of the umpires, hopefully with Steve McBurney. I'll certainly be throwing the ball up. Is uh, Robbie Muir playing? No, no, no Robert's problem. not playing. But 
I wonder if I throw the ball up and it's a bad throw, I'll recall it. Do I have to then bounce it? <laughs> it's very good. I think you're lucky, Robbie Mears. I was just wondering if he could recreate that uh, Tatar Tate with Kevin Smith from 1984 or whenever it was. Okay, I'm finishing off with a hot. And Hang on, how about my second hot? Or have you had two hots? Oh, now I'm confused. I've had a hot and a knot. I've had one knot. Oh, I'm sorry. Hot. Uh, most oh, yeah, pe- that was my one. Most people would not have seen this because GWS and Dockers was not a fashionable game and uh, you'd have to be a pretty keen football fan this time of the year to be immersing yourself in it. But towards the end of the game, there was a goal to beat the band by the Dockers. Mm-hmm. It was sublime. Let me take you there. The ball is on the half-forward flank, closer to the pocket, and Ballantyne has the ball, but he loses a handle on it, and it falls towards Mundy, who grabs the ball. Ballantyne, by momentum, ends up over the boundary line out of play. Mundy is about to be tackled and pushed over the line for an obvious throw-in. Most players take that tackle, but they need a goal desperately. So he lofts a, a, a very softly lofted handball up in the air. What he's doing is allowing Ballantyne enough time to run back onto the field and take the ball in play, which he does, a quick shimmy and Ballantyne goals. It was Uh, brilliant. A la the fieldsman. Exactly right. You hit a six and the guy's got to throw it up in the air, go out and back in. Well, it was two people combining in that. It was clever, beautifully executed and Probably not seen by me. You know, well, it wasn't seen by me, but I, I like the way you call that in the present tense because it made me feel like I was witnessing it all over again, albeit in a slightly BBC type. Did you feel that you were there? Because, I did, I did. Because the AFL will add you to the numbers, as GWS numbers tend to be a bit sketchy. So <laughs> yeah. if you feel you were there, ring up the AFL and they can get a big crowd. <laughs> and my dog. Um, okay, sorry about the interruption. I will finish off with, you now this guy's had plenty of kudos over the years. But what the hell, he deserves a bit more. Alistair Clarkson, no one disputes he's the best coach in the caper, but he's rapidly moving into great, you know, greatest handful, if not couple of coaches of all time. And in a way, this season's been more impressive than any of the premiership years because we were talking about them being down the bottom of the ladder for years on end. Um, we were talk, questioning their youth and whether they had anyone coming through. Bingo. You know, half a season later, he's got them vaguely in finals contention. He's made moves which no one would have thought of, like Jack Gunston to the back line. That's worked brilliantly for him. Um, he's just what, what I like about him is he's never satisfied with what he's got. He always wants to learn. He's always willing to take a risk. Um, and he doesn't think, you know, just because this game style worked and I won four flags with it, I'm um, irretrievably wedded to it. He's prepared to change his own methods, even though they've been successful in a quest to stay ahead of the opposition, and that's why he does. He's an absolute coaching genius. I concur. Well well put. Well put. Uh, my final hot is a hot with an asterisk because... I'm one for history, and I love a bit of recreation. I thought I was watching one of those Toyota ads uh, recreating a great moment from football's past. 40 years ago, save a couple of months, six points behind, the ball is kicked long, and in a pack just in front of the goal square, Twiggy Dunn climbs to take an unlikely mark. If he goes back and kicks the goal, it's going to be a draw. He did, and it was, the 77 grand final. Fast forward almost 40 years, Collingwood are playing, but this time on the receiving end, as Mitch McGovern gets into a pack, takes the mark and goes back. But here's where it slightly goes skew if. He doesn't recreate it perfectly because, of course, Twiggy Dunn chooses to kick a 60-metre torp. Yes. Uh, 
if you did that today and came <laughs> off the side of the boot, your career would be over. He almost went off the side of the boot anyhow, but it did go through for a goal with the conservative old drop punt. Yes, there was a brief second there where I thought, oh no, this is going to hit the post, but it just wobbled in. Uh, it was certainly a gripping moment. On Footyology, talking top 22s. Okay, if you're not familiar with this segment, what we do is we have a rolling All-Australian team. We gave you our first version last week. It's up on the Footyology website on the podcast page. So have a look, footyology.com.au. And to quote a detestable red-haired Australian politician, if you don't check up the All-Australian, you're un-Australian. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, now, explain? It was, uh, well, I, I just did explain. Um the first team was a good one. I, I actually picked one uh, concession here. I picked this uh, for my previous employer at the midway point of the season. We adjusted it slightly. Um, now, I'm not a big believer in just because you have one poor game or one great game, you should go in at someone's expense. But I think there's a be, been a bit of a cumulative effect with a couple of those guys. So I'd like to throw up a couple of possible changes uh, one I'm going to campaign pretty strongly for is on a halfback flank, we had Elliot Yo, and with all due respect to Elliot, I think his form's still pretty good, reasonable, but I, th- I reckon he's been surpassed at this stage by a guy who just gets better by the week, and that is the pig, Michael Hibbard of Melbourne, who has been outstanding, averaging about 28 disposals a week, and uh, terrific again for the Demons, I thought, even in defeat. Yeah, I can live with that. Oh, I think he's been great. Had a slow, late start to the season. It would have absolutely uh, got the indelible link out this week had he kicked what could have been a winning goal. He had a crack from outside 50. Fair enough with the win, but didn't come off the boot. That's not his job. He's playing well. And Elliot Yo, yeah, I think um, defensively Hibbert might have him. But this is going to be a close battle with Zach Tui still in the mix as well. So mm-hmm. Hibbert at the moment, yes, he comes in. All right, have you got any uh, proposed changes? Look, I do, because I think not playing... You can't just sit on your season's work, have other players play well while you're on the sidelines and expect to hold your spot simply by a matter of course. No, it doesn't happen. Ablett and Green are not playing, especially Toby Green, self-inflicted. Now, you had Marcus Bontempelli in your team at the halfway point. I did, and I I dumped him. As the dogs lost form, and he also lost a bit of form, out he fell, but as they started playing better, well, he's been great, and he was brilliant in the win over the Bombers. So I thought maybe take Toby Green out altogether. He can work his way back in if he's good enough. Hasn't played enough or... Has not played enough. And yeah. now it'll be, in the end, it'll be four weeks of self-inflicted sideline work. Yeah, it's played 13, total yeah, of 13. Injury, you know, so Bontempelli plays well, best on ground. Sorry, Toby, you move aside. Let's move Ablett into the forward line and put Bontempelli on the wing. Well, while you mention Ablett, and I'm, I'm his biggest fan, but he's only he's played 13 danger. games as well. He is in danger. He remains the second highest average disposal winner in the competition. That's however. fine. Thank you, David King. <laughs> uh, but I gave it a context. Um, I've got another proposed change. Now, if this guy isn't the lowest profile, really good player in the competition, I will eat my hat and I don't have one. But Matt Crouch, he is a gun. He's average. I thought you were talking about Griffin Logue. Um, no, not just yet. Matt Crouch averaging 32 disposals per game. I think he's third on the overall ball winners behind Tom Mitchell and Ablett. And uh, against the Pies, looks like Greenwood sat on Sloan. That's been the end of Adelaide on previous occasions this year. But Matt Crouch saved the day, I reckon. He didn't have a whole heap of support. But he's just been incredibly consistent. 
Uh, really good by hand, and he, he does a lot of damage by hand, but um, he's an absolute gun. And it's interesting, you know, Brad Crouch came to light first, and everyone just thought, oh, Matt will be the, the, the lesser Crouch. Well, I, I think he's the greater Crouch now, and um, I reckon, uh, I know there's a plethora of on-ballers in this side, but I reckon just on weight of numbers, he's got to be in there. You know, like Gary Lofts before him, and then the magnificent pies from the bakery, Beaufort can add the Crouch Brothers to something <laughs> wonderful that comes out of a town that is famous for what? Uh, which town? Beaufort, which is Bo- where they're from. Beaufort. Um, beautiful bakery. I don't know. They're famous for a rotunda at the end of town and also having a cop that always hides behind the rotunda and books people. <laughs> How many times have you been booked? Uh, I've... Um, I go through Beaufort very slowly. Okay, now, uh, unfortunately, we can't play a 23-man side, so who makes way for Matt Crouch? I'm looking at the interchange. Only Zorko could come out because he's been tagged out of it in the last month twice and he didn't play this week. It would be tough because he hits the scoreboard hard, but I'd, I'd be willing to put Crouch in this week, but Zorko... Right of reply when he Could comes win back his way back. Yeah. Okay, so three changes to the 22 this week, which might be about as many as we make. Uh, quick... go, to the, go to the website and have a look at the two. Oh, we'll just read it out now. Okay, back line, Howe, Rance, Laird. A half-back line, Hibbard, Hurley, Doherty. A centre line of Kelly, Martin and Bontempelli. A half-forward line of Gray, Franklin and Ablett. A forward line of Betts. Oh, I don't know how long he'll be in the team for. Brown, and that's an interesting one. And Cameron, they're all up for grabs, mm. but they stick. A ruck division of Ryder, Dangerfield and Mitchell. The interchange, Sloan, Selwood. In comes Matt Crouch and Clayton Oliver. Okay, what do you think of our Round 19 Talking Top 22 side? Get on the Footyology website, leave a comment, tell us what you think. Uh, we may respond if you're nice. And there's now a prize that goes with your response to our Top 22. Really? I haven't had time to solicit sponsorship. No, no, people. We're not tawdry. It's not money. What is it? Well, the best responses, the most interesting tweets and uh, alternatives, we'll read out on the program next week. Oh, good idea. That is a good idea. You do have them occasionally. On Footyology Media Watch. Okay, Finey, a lot of um, reaction to our first Media Watch segment and fair to say some displeasure from some of our colleagues who didn't like the implication that some of them weren't perhaps as passionate about covering the actual game as they were about the politics of the game. No, uh, you know, not singling anyone out there. but uh, They can respond on their various forms of media. Yes, and they have several. Um, where do you want to start this week? Uh, look, commentary. Yeah? Uh, this might be the mating cry of the loser, but, uh, and I know that a lot of supporters, when their team loses, turn on anything from the umpires to the coach and sometimes the commentators that bring them the game, but having had to sit through St Kilda Port Adelaide, I can tell you that this has nothing to do with the last two minutes. This was the rest of the game. Mark Rusciuto, who was part of the commentary team with Adam Papalia, excellent caller, David King, gave us, as always, a strong statistical reference to the game. And then there was the Minister of Tourism from South Australia, <laughs> Mark Rusciuto, who looked at everything through the prism of a South Australian. I said prism, not prison. Now, why he's pumping up Port Adelaide... The well, aren't they supposed to be mortal enemies? One day he's bashing them up at Ramsgate Hotel, and next next thing you know, he actually had to say, and he said this, I, this might come as a surprise to some people, but I'm actually not a Port supporter. 
hypercritical of St Kilda, but then sort of got into the we need to and they, you know, it was very much a sense of uh, heroic hometown team uh, overcoming, just, sorry, what's their name again? Austin Kilda. Now, do you reckon that's something you notice more only because they're playing your side? Of course, of course. And it is, as I say, it, it becomes enlarged when your team loses and even more so a close and disappointing loss. But there's no question he has been accused in the past of being a hometown caller. In South Australia, you either work for five AA or you. You. It, it's very much everything is South Australian. Whether it's their state netball team or the Adelaide, what is it? The Adelaide Strikers in the Big Bash. It's you know all about South Australia because they're a small state with the tend to have an occasional chip on their shoulder. Kick a Vic. But he has got to park that at the curb when he commentates on the national stage. Okay, right off the top of your head, who are some other commentators who you think wear their uh, colours on their sleeve a bit too uh, proudly? Um, oh, I, I think, uh, say, Cameron Ling. Yeah, he doesn't mind the cats. You know, he's quite no, partial you know, to He knows him. more about Hawkins than he knows about all the other, all the interstate teams put together. <laughs> Just a personal level, birthdays, parties, um, etc. I guess that comes from being his teammate. Yeah, well. The... To me, the problem in commentary often isn't a parochial one based on clubs. It's a old boys club that always defers to the players being right. So any incident that's up for match review discussion, oh, let them off. You know, it's a carry will come in. That's just part of the game. Come on, let's not damn this bloke. Well, they do that with deliberate out of bounds as well. They're very anti-deliberate out of bounds. Always play. Oh, you're picking on the player. Well, to exonerate the player, they are hanging the umpire. Well, maybe it's maybe to counteract that finding, it's time to bring back uh, John Russo. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. So, you know, make a joke of the a token umpire. We don't need – what we need is some common sense, and that is understand what the rules are, understand the current interpretation, and work with the same parameters as the umpires do under guidelines from the AFL, not pillory the umpires, because I can tell you as a fact it resonates at all levels of football – I umpire, and I cannot tell you how surprised and disappointed I am on a yearly basis as, at the denigrating respect for that post. Okay, no, it's a fair, it's a fair point, and I think only someone that does umpire would probably be aware to just how widespread that issue is. But I, I, I mean, I love hearing Rich say five times a night he'll say, "I think the umpire got that wrong." Hmm. Does he ever say they get it right? No, but um, mate, you used to miss goals from nine meters out. Yeah, so they do make people mistakes. Get things wrong on the football field. Now, unfortunately, that whole issue of bias in commentary has reminded me of one of my favourite pieces of commentary, and I think it goes back to Amy Stadium about two thousand and three, Melbourne playing Adelaide on a sodden Saturday evening. I think scores are tight. The Crows are a couple of points up. And there's one last stoppage, and I think our very own David Schwartz actually won a boundary throw-in and hit it over the back to Andrew Leoncelli. That's how long ago it is. I've always remembered how the call unfolded on 5AA. I think it was Stephen Rowe doing the calling. It went something like this. Throw-in now. Can the Crows hang on over the back? Schwartz finds Leoncelli. He's running into an open goal. Oh, no! <laughs> At that point, you knew that Melbourne had won the game. Can I give you one? I lived in, Go for it. I lived in Perth for a while. And was subject to George the late George Grealish, the, the late and humorously great George Grealish. George, the George Grealish's uh, take on football, his reviews and previews, 
and they were not even biased. They were so WA team centric, <laughs> as one would believe that um, the teams that came from interstate were nameless clubs with players Visitors. without numbers. Visitors. Intruders. <laughs> Anyhow, so they used to have talk back on Sunday morning, football talk back, and I took him to task the week previously for being so disrespectful for the other team as at half time when he gave the goal kickers for the West Coast Eagles, he went through the players, and when he gave the goal kickers for Geelong, he said, um, uh, the goal kickers for Geelong, well, I don't have their names, but they've kicked six goals five. <laughs> and I said, that's completely biased. You're not presenting a, a professional uh, broadcast. And he said, well, where are you from? I said, Victoria. And he said, well, this is a biased phone call. I said, I'm speaking to you. You're speaking to tens of thousands of listeners. Do you agree we're both biased? And he goes, what his final word was, he goes, I'll agree on one thing with you, that all Victorians are, and I can't, I can't remember the word, that all, Vic, all Victorians are ignoramuses or Philistines. And I'm then speaking to a doll's I never agreed to that. Surely used the phrase, you Eastern Staters. Yeah, he, oh, he also pointed out something else. That, that we think, oh, he goes, you Victorians think you run football and invented football. I said, well, we actually invented it and we sort of do run it. <laughs> and a uh, very uh, warm welcome to all our listeners in Perth. Uh, please just disregard everything uttered in the last 60 oh, seconds no, he was or so. Gra- he was, let me tell you. No, no, I know. I know, you, know I knew George. you know he's famous worldwide yeah. for the greatest ever call of an Olympic 100 metre final. Yeah, yeah. His ability to call, he called all eight runners twice in 10 point or nine point something seconds. No, he's a very revered man over there. Now, I just want to talk quickly, and I hope this won't become a recurring theme, but um, politics in football, I think there's too much of it. I don't think the punters care. And I felt like we reached a bit of a crescendo this week when we had the Gary Pert departure from Collingwood. Um, live coverage of press conference, uh, news stories, analysis, three days running. On the same day, we had a um, uh, an announcement that uh, Tom Harley had been anointed to be the next Sydney CEO after Andrew Ireland. I saw Simon Garlick's name thrown up there as a potential new CEO for the Magpies. And uh, I reckon it's a good example of how the media newspapers, particularly on this one, live in a bit of a cocoon. They think it's important to us. We deal with these people all the time. Therefore, uh, it must be important. Well, I'm here to tell you, folks, the public, by and large, do not care. Have I got that wrong? Do you think the public care about who a CEO is? They don't. They really don't care. But so why do we? Why do we insist on? In, inflicting slabs of, of stories about CEOs. Come on, wake up and smell the grass, brother. If it's Collingwood, mm. you can create a story. All you need to do is put Collingwood and then somewhere Maguire and the signing of Buckley mm. and all of a sudden uh, it's deferring to the old, you know, it was the old standard. Collingwood sells papers. Yeah, yeah, something in that. Okay, I'll ask you another one. How does the media actually know if a CEO is a good CEO or not? Because they have great football business analysts like... Um, yeah, they don't. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, no well, our barometer for judging whether a, a club CEO has been good or not is his tenure, yeah, isn't his, it? Well, his profile. His length. Before, yeah, I'm saying his tenure is an ind- indication, but profile. So, Gary Pert played the game. People yeah, know Gary yeah, Pert. I'm sure so, he must names, be good. I'm sure there are brilliant business heads at other clubs whose yeah. names do not roll off the tongue that simply... No football journalist would care studying because there's no story in it. I've had well, I've had this argument with so many former colleagues, and they say, oh, "Of course, it's important." I say, "Well, 
in my view, it's only important if there's some sort of impact on the field. And I don't see the correlation more often than not. So, And I'm pretty confident the punters aren't that interested. And it's been – I'll speak about this in another episode. But I've noticed just recently the Herald Sun – it's almost like they philosophically made that decision too because I know they've done a lot more series lately. I know Glenn McFarlane and Ralphie – the last couple of weeks um, have done footy in the 21st century. And it's it's been great. You know, they did top 10 grand finals and stuff like that. I, I reckon the punters really lapped that stuff up. And I think there's a, almost an arrogance on the part of some newspaper print journals about, you know, this is important. You will believe, you will believe what we say that this is important. And it, they come off looking like they actually don't care that much about the game. And it doesn't reflect well on them finding. Wagging the dog the tail. Yeah, that's my sort of semi-rant this week. I have could, got a proper we? rant. Are, but we are uh, half ranting most of the time now. Yeah, true, true. Okay, let's passionate, move. Passionate people. Let's move on. On Footyology, Robco and Finney's Rant Off. All right, here we go. I know this is a segment lots of people look forward to, particularly us, because we're old and crotchety and we do like um, getting stuff off our chest. So it's rant off time. I'm going to start this week. You started last week. I'm fired up. I've come prepared, Finey. I want you to count me in. Uh, three, two, round away. I'm pissed off about Paddy Dangerfield, Finey. Who does he bloody think he is? Not only being the best player in the AFL, but having a brain and a sense of humour as well. Every time you pick up a paper or turn on a TV, it's Dangerfield this, Dangerfield that. Now I reckon he's dumped Matty Cruiser to the turf just so he could talk about Willie or Wayne get rubbed out for a week for the next couple of days. He's got some hide. First he rolls up and instead of buckling under the pressure at Geelong, takes his game to a whole new level. Then he goes and wins a Brownlow. Then he decides, seeing he's got some intelligence and a worldview beyond what his contested ball stats are, he might as well have something to say about other stuff. No wonder Wolsey got into him the other week for daring to make light of that foot injury and coming into a press conference on crutches with a head bandage. How dare he make light of an injury? He should have been stuck in a hyperbaric chamber for a week and running past the media throng at a club doorstop with a gruff no comment. Wolsey will tell you, Finey, that can make all the difference between getting a kick on a Saturday or not. Wear a pair of sunglasses on the ground two hours before the game? That's at least five fewer possessions. Wear an iPod? Might as well pull out before game time. You've got no hope of turning in a decent performance. What's worse is that Dangerfield's interested in all that namby-pamby social justice and stuff. Last summer he was tweeting about how we should be embarrassed about how we treat refugees. I don't want my footy stars making me question how I see my own country. We're great. Okay, so we get involved in wars overseas, then treat the people displaced by them like human garbage. But geez, at least they get to stay in a cell on some pissant island 3,000 kilometres away. What's that got to do with footy anyway? Absolutely nothing. Bloody hell, Dangerfield. Stop making me think. And don't start crapping on about tall poppy syndrome, or I'll have to call you a flog. And there's no coming back from a highly articulate, intelligent insult like that. Paddy Dangerfield, I, I, I actually now, you're right, Paddy Dangerfield is a smarter boy than I gave him credit for. You didn't think how he was da- smart? No, but he is. And how dare he make us think of matters outside the world of football. And for those who didn't pick up on the tone, yes, I was being delightfully ironic. Okay, your turn now. Three, two, one, rant. Oh, I do love those producers that sit in the vans outside football ground and decide what pictures we look at when we watch our football. You are so predictable, so obvious, it almost is achingly painful. What 
am I talking about? Well, just as a tennis star will always have his good-looking girlfriend be the subject of a shot after every point, so in football is the obsession with getting a player running off the ground after he kicks a goal so the commentators can indignantly say, I hate this interchange. As soon as they kick a goal, they run off. (laughs) No, they don't. It's one of about a 100 rotations. It just happens that the producers love doing it. It's almost driven Kevin Bartlett insane. Now, that's not a far drive, I admit. But really, I mean, KB just hates it. How can they take him off? He's kicked a goal. But he also hated handball and paying for food. So not everything KB says is right. We get it. Sometimes players kick goals and run off afterwards. We don't need to see it every time. Anyhow, you got your comeuppance on the weekend because Bond and Pelly had just been involved with a great involved in a great goal with Dixon and the producer thought, I've got him coming off the ground. Got you again, stupid interchange. No, he was actually just coming to the boundary line to wipe his hands or get some rosin and the shot was lost. Get rid of the obvious shot. We get it. They come off after a goal. It's just part of the game. Very good. No, a really good point on on topic. I like that. Can we then get rid of the uh, celebrity cutaway shot after a goal at every uh, Collingwood game, i.e. Eddie Maguire. Eddie Maguire sitting next to, you know, Q celebrity from overseas or disinterested disinterested uh, Hollywood star. What about your mob? They've got a few celebrities. What about that 2010 grand final? We saw oh, more the shots Eric Banner of show. Eric Banner and... Yeah, um, pathetic. Uh, who's the swimmer again? Michael Klim. Yeah, Michael Klim and Eric Banner. Uh, a bit of hang time there. And look, I was watching the darts on the weekend and one of the competitors had a particularly good-looking girlfriend. So in a competition between two dart players, they showed her about 60 times and the the more homely wife of the other competitor once after he won. Oh, no. No, no, that's not good. That that's is. Good. That's darts, mate. <laughs> All right, that's it for episode two of our Footyology podcast. And as only, two, I felt like we we're almost up to three. Yes, yeah, well, uh, funny about that. But um, only one way to finish off each episode, Finey, and that's with music. We both love our music. Can I just interject for a moment? Yeah. It would be remiss of me not to tell the listeners of this wonderful podcast about a mistake that Rowan made about an hour and a half ago. And what was it, Finey? Uh, we did this very program, probably not as well, and at the end, Rowan informed me as I was heading to the car park and home that he failed to press record. <laughs> Rowan, you better have pressed it this time. I have. I have. That is unfortunately a true story. So thank you very much for going through the pace. I think we ended up with a tighter product because of it, finally, although it's beginning to lose that tightness now. So uh, what is the connection with football music? Well, you know, a lot of musicians love football. A lot of footballers love music. But I think lyrics, I'm particularly into lyrics in music, Finey, and I like to look for a connection. And I like to think, go back to the past. And there was something a bit a bit sort of nostalgic about that game down in Hobart played in the 5-6 goal breeze game, wasn't it, between Melbourne well, and North? It's funny because most footy fans loved it. Mm. They loved an element of the game that back when six games used to be played in the wind was pilloried. And that was, oh, terrible conditions for footy today suddenly became a thing of beauty. Well, speaking of which, I read a, uh, a rather lengthy essay last night about the song Africa by Toto. You're familiar with it? No, but I am familiar with the term 
Got a life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know why I did that, but it's uh, it's a song that was widely pilloried uh, upon its release in about 1983, finally. But it's come to be viewed some 34 years later as a bit of a classic, and this was a whole just like a windy game of footy. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, what better way to finish than to quote one of my favourite bit of lyrics in any contemporary song ever written? And of course, it is the rhyming or not so rhyming couplet, which you can feel free to sing along with. I know that I must do what's right, sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti. This Crunch Time podcast, proudly brought to you by iPrimers. Make the right NBN choice with iPrimers, your NBN experts. Call 131 101.